Welcome to the final episode of 2022. I'm going to take a bit of time off for the holidays and I will be back with brand new episodes in 2023. I would love it if you would follow or subscribe wherever you are listening to this so that you can be the first to know when a new episode drops, because I think they're just getting better and better if I do say so myself. Thank you for coming along for the ride. A big thank you to all of my December guests. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I got to talk to the Mary Zimmerman. Moreover, I can't believe I didn't cry when I got to talk to the Mary Zimmerman. Her work is just so powerful and anytime she's directing a show, I am running to the theater. Her adaptation of The Steadfast Tin Soldier is currently playing at the Looking Glass Theater in Chicago through January 8th, 2023, and you can hear all about it and how much I love it in episode 13. Thank you, Mary, for taking the time to share your wisdom and insight with me. Thank you to Joe Landry. I had so much fun talking to him about It's a Wonderful Life, a radio play. How exciting to get to talk to a playwright with one of the most produced plays in the country. This story means so much to many of us at this time of year, and it was so interesting to hear how he adapted it into a radio play. Thank you, Joe, for the delightful conversation. A big thank you to Rachel Feeney-Williams. Y'all, Rachel's interview for episode 15 happened at 11 p.m. her time because she's in the UK and I'm in the US. So thank you, Rachel, for spending a Friday night with me talking about your delightful and comedic gender-bending version of A Christmas Carol called Untitled Christmas Production. And also thank you, Rachel, for being so supportive of my work and this podcast. Because this is the time of year for reflection and magic and intentions, I want to replay the theater wishes that my guests have shared. Some of these are actually things that we can really make happen. So if you are a secret Santa, I hope you reach out and help bring some of these to life. We'll start with Eric Koble. And wish for still more opportunities for new playwrights Mm. to hear their work out loud with an audience. There's more of those again now than I think there may have ever been in U.S. history but maybe in world history, but there could be more. There could be more. <laughs> there are. Love to hear their work that are not, uh, who can't get there uh, because of location or economics or opportunity or whatever. And uh, so I think I would wish for still more venues for, for new playwrights to, to hear what they're, what the heck they're doing so they can figure out how to keep doing it or to make alterations to become, to become the playwright they want to be. This is Vincent Murphy's theater wish. I would wish that sister city playwrights would survive and prosper somewhere. And Mm. let me quickly tell you, tell you what that is. Um, I created this thing called sister city playwrights because uh, my daughter was studying. She runs a fantastic theater in, in Atlanta now, but she was actually studying in London as an undergraduate student. And she sent me a script. She says, dad, I saw this play. Um, and it just knocked me out and it reminded me of you. So she sent me this play by Naomi Wallace. I didn't know who this was. And she was born in Kentucky and I had worked in Kentucky. So I still didn't know who this was. So it's like, and I read this thing it was called One Flea Spare and it, it just knocked me out. So mm. I called her and I said, Naomi, um, you don't know me, but I'm knocked out by your play. I want to tell you I'm kind of a dummy here because I live in the South and you're a Southerner. And she said, yeah, nobody would pay any attention to any of my plays. So eventually my partner and I moved to London and you know, this play got done at um, the National Theater. Uh, because mm. they, they kind of got it stuff. So I went, yeah. well, here's a woman that nobody understood in her region in the South. 
because right. she was writing stuff that was just too political and erotic and and kind of out there, but clear. So I said, you know, there's got to be a way that in the different regions we could swap playwrights with each other. Why doesn't you know, mm. know me and let's send her to London, which is what, of course, what she did on her own. She was smart to get out of where yeah. she was. But I went, there's a lot of playwrights that don't have that option. So there, right. So I, I set up this thing called Sister City Playwrights. So there was a, a play lab in London, a play lab in Vancouver, a play lab in Chicago, in San Francisco, in Austin, in Boston, in Atlanta. So, so I got all of these play labs that had already existed to say, listen, I'll fundraise for this thing. So I did the initial fundraising for this thing. And I said, what you have to do is, there's a, there's a whole list of how this works, by the way, that I generated. But in this thing, you swap playwrights with each other. Take somebody who you think's voice can't be heard in your area. Somebody who you went, mm -hmm. God, I would love to do you, but I know the audience isn't going to get it. Somebody yeah. that you know, but you're, you're, you're enamored of the writing stuff. So, and we're going to send them. And then you've got all these options. Is it Boston? Is it San Francisco? Is it Austin? Is it London? Is it whatever? I said, you get to send somebody, but if you send somebody, you've got to take somebody. So the way this works mm. is then London says, hey, Austin, you know, we think this is somebody who's sort of, you know, a Texas or, you know, just it's, he needs to be cowboys or she needs to whatever stuff, yeah. you know, whatever it happens to be. So I set this thing up. We had about 15 different playwrights swap around. Lauren Gunderson was one of them, by the way. So I don't, Lauren's career, I sent her to Boston and she got to work with around Derek Walcott in the Boston Playwrights Theater. And it just, you know, she mm. was just coming out of undergraduate school and it was like, okay, you know, she could see things or they would do things. Um, anyway, so there's a bunch of rules about how it works and everything. I ran it for five years. And then, you know, again, I'd been an artistic director of a theater company. I was trying to do my adaptations. I passed it on to the San Francisco Theater, which was one of the better funded theaters. And then they end up going bankrupt because of, many things that weren't quite mm. right with it. Anyway, so it's dormant, right? So there's this thing called Sister City Playwrights. I think you could still Google it and find it, but it was one of those things where, you know, it died probably seven, eight years or so ago. And I just went, God, this was a good mm. idea. And, you know, I have a couple of famous students, ex-students like Adam Richman was, if you ever saw Man versus Food on the Food Channel, Mm. Adam oh, yes. So Adam was my student at Emory and we got him into, I was at Actors Theater of Louisville. He came up, we got him an internship when I was directing there. And then he went to Yale and got an MFA. But then of course he hit this thing and I think made a lot of money. So, you know, I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I've tried to send it through the pipeline to him. I did the seven or eight years ago to say, Adam, you know, anyway, so I don't know. It, I never got the answer back. So I went, I don't know, there's somebody out there that I know is sitting on a pile of money. And I think this is one of the most generous things yeah. people could do with each other. And it's minimal. You know, it takes very little work. You fly the playwright in, you give them a place to stay for a couple of days. We have money to give you to help hire actors to do the stage readings, do the stage reading, have them meet two artistic directors or two dramaturgs who live in the city. And then suddenly that playwright is connected. They can send their play now. They can take yeah. her play and bring it back to Atlanta as Lauren did because she brought me back a theater a show that she had went, went and saw a reading of in Boston and I passed it on to one of the theaters in Atlanta that produced it. Anyway, that's the ecology of it. Next is Dr. Ening Lin. I would wish for more AAPI shows that is not The King and I. Uh, of the AAPI community. Um, um, I would love to see more shows that encompass all that's never performed. Um, I would love to see that. I think 
that is what I want to, that's, and actually I've taken up a side gig of reading scripts for our resident dramaturg mm -hmm. as well. And I, I won't just limit this to AAPI actually, I would limit it to all marginalized communities yeah. <laughs> um, that don't get represented on stage. Um, like I just read one about the deaf community that's never what I would wish for. I think I would wish one more theater that represented more marginalized, um, forgotten communities, I guess. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's what I would wish for. For sure. So if you are a playwright from a marginalized community, hmm. you can help fulfill Ening's wish by writing stories by writing those stories. You could. This is your yeah. cue. <laughs> yes. Yes, for sure. Please do. Um, and I've been, I've been lucky to work with some of them. Um, v Chet Chum, who I mentioned earlier, um, brings a lot of his Cambodian heritage into his plays um, and the, and his own Asian-ness into his plays. And he's part of the, um, his, and his experiences as an LGBTQ man. Um, so I, I love, I, I loved his work. It's amazing. Um, his, where his stage directions are even really funny. Um, so there are people coming out there, but please write more. We always want to see more of that. Yeah. And I, I would I also another second wish. I would love for theaters to be braver about performing yeah. these shows um, instead of just sticking to the classics. Um, the classics are right. great, but we're not in those times anymore, <laughs> you know? Um, right. And... Oh, there's just, there's so many wishes, but those are the two that I would love. Now here's Sam Hall. I would love to be part of a creative team. And I know this is asking a lot. Okay. I'll just say that, but I'm hoping I've kind of earned, I'm earning it's it. It's Dionysus. He can deliver. So I would like to um, be part of, if not start the National Women's Theater Company for the United States. Mm. I love We're it. Where basically it's me and a bunch of women um, doing theater, and we have a building where each floor, like dance floor, art floor, painting floor, theater, and then a massive art gallery and a massive theater just for women to come work in. Mm. I love it. I need. I, I've I've worked it out. I can do it on ninety million to start. Okay. <laughs> if anybody's got it sitting around. All right. If you got that sitting around, if you if you are a Dionysus in disguise. Yeah. And can make this happen. Yeah, contact could, us. Yeah, if I could get to Mrs. Gates or Mrs. Bezos, you know, it'd be lovely right. to have exactly. the, the National Women's um, Theater Company. To the point, you know, you know, people. Some people do boards, you know, visual boards and stuff like that. And and for me, I've written it down and I went and got the domain names. So I'm like, I'm ready to go. Woo! Um, whatever people okay. like, because I think that would partner great with Artemis as a nonprofit side of right. the building, and then a professional side of the building would be awesome yes I love and i it. guess if, if i had to be in, in a realistic world then i would just really love a professional company to call me and do my version of the crucible mm, okay and i i we already have the t-shirts designed <laughs> yeah i already have yep. the t-shirts designed i can i can assist and direct or be in it this is john minigan's theater wish wow first of all say dionysus come on out of there <laughs> uh, i think it's um and I mentioned before that the weird aspect of the pandemic was that theaters were looking for new ways to engage their audiences. Yeah. And um, so whether it was through Zoom theater, whether it was through, you know, 
releasing videos from their archives of productions or commissioning new work, uh, suddenly, like I had my busiest year ever, like my most acceptances during the pandemic, mm. which was crazy because, you know, theaters were closed. Right. Um, so I'm, I guess my hope is that, that, that theaters and audiences too will trust that move toward new work, that new work can be really interesting. Uh, and there, so you can hear stories that you have not heard before because they are voices that haven't always been represented on stages. Uh, yeah. And you can hear old stories in new ways. Yes. Um, so I'm hoping that that, you know, it, it reminded me of what they say about the, you know, cable access television when it first started mm -hmm. and you know, anybody could go into the basement and record a, a TV show, Wayne's World, mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, the beginnings of Off Off Broadway where we have a venue, we just need content. Um, right. So I'm hoping that that, Ex mini explosion of new content is something that can be trusted and, and that can continue. Here's Richard Gustin. Well, I have high hopes for my play being seen. Um, we, we did it. Uh, it. It was done at the New York Fringe Festival a few years ago with uh, William Humans playing one of the roles. William Humans is a very successful Broadway actor. Um, he was recently in To Kill a Mockingbird, which uh, recently, mm. you know, closed. But, um, and Allison Minnick, he played opposite Allison Minnick, who was a young New York actor at the time. She's since moved to LA. Uh, superb actor, both superb actors. So we, we did Being Seen at uh, the New York Fringe and to... Um, well, sellout houses and wonderful reviews. It was chosen as a fringe favorite uh, out of all the, all the shows. Uh, I don't know. We were one of 13 out of uh, hundreds of productions that were voted fa fan favorites. And so, you know, I, I have very high hopes for the, uh, for the show. And I, I'm planning a Chicago production next year. And um, uh looking for actors, for two actors for the Chicago run. And uh, I think I'm pretty okay. sure. Oh, tell me, because I have, I used to live in Chicago. So what are, who are these actors? That, I mean, what are the, what's the character description? Who do you need? Well, uh, the actor uh, identifies as a female and mm -hmm. wouldn't have to, but in our production uh, would be an identifying female and anywhere from 20s to probably 50s in age range. Okay. Um, and the other character in the play is uh, uh, an artistic director who is an artistic uh, director of the theater uh, where the two of them meet. And he identifies as a male and uh, in the production I'm planning union uh, auditions, I, I'd like to see both union and non-union people. And so um, I, I, I suppose I'm, I'm going to use some kind of a Zoom platform or uh, use a different space in Chicago to see people face to face and probably initially, initially do uh, Zoom auditions, which uh, can be very successful and, and, and fine. And uh, so, yes, I'm going to be setting up auditions in the next couple of months. And uh, the show is, I think I've found the venue and uh, I think it's probably going to be in Ju Ju June of next year. So 
yes, please look for notices for auditions for being seen. Uh, it's a two-hander and uh, a wonderfully uh, a wild, fun ride of a production. So. so this is an open call to all of my Chicago friends, my Chicago actor friends, to uh, be on the lookout for these auditions. Next is Nan Barnett. I would wish that every person in the world had the opportunity to see themselves on a stage and experience something new about themselves from that. Because that's how mm -hmm. people get hooked, right? That's mm -hmm. the thing. You see something that changes you and you want to continue to have that change. Um, really, really, I would really love for everybody to have that experience. Um, and we do in, in subtle ways, but we don't think of it as theater. Um, mm -hmm. So remembering that, you know, that when you're eating the, the leg of the bison that was captured by the hunters in the cave and they were telling <laughs> those first stories, you knew how the story ended, right? Because you're eating the bison. Mm -hmm. But it's the mm -hmm. telling of the story that is mm -hmm. the important part. Um, and getting to, to feel what the others felt while they were on the hunt. That's, mm. that's, that is to me, that's the magic. And I want everyone to have that moment. This is Mike Lou's Theater Wish. I think that I would wish for uh, people to attend theater with a sense of curiosity and a um and like a willingness not willingness like an eagerness to go on the journey that those artists um are asking you to take and i and that's like not that's not a, like that's as much a reminder to myself and when i go to see plays as it is um a uh wish for the audiences that i encounter who see my plays like but i think that um there's something about like consuming culture uh, that feels different than like the reason why I got in the theater in the first place, which is this real sense of discovery and this real sense of like, I don't know what's going to happen. And like, there, I'm going to learn something about myself and I'm going to learn something about the way that these people see the world. And that's going to be really eye-opening, exciting and refreshing to me. And I think that like I have myself you know, I've heard a lot about this play and like, I, so let's see what you've got. And that, that energy is not like why I got excited about theater to begin with. And so that's what I wish is that like people would be open to an experience and open to uh, hearing what it is that, uh, that these artists want to say. Here's Mary Zimmerman's theater wish. I mean, there's so much, but I really, really would like to see the first performance of one of Shakespeare's of Hamlet or of Romeo and Juliet at the globe. I really, really would be interested in that, but there's other old, it would be a backwards thing like that. I would want to see some old technologies of the, th I love old theaters and old technologies and wing and drop sets and 
um, periactoids, these rotating triangular. I love old theater history. So it would be something like that, I think. I'll go with you. We'll build a time machine and we'll do that. Wouldn't that be? And, you know, I often think of like, when I do these operas, everyone always talks about the, you know, the composer's intention, but any person of the past that brought forward, they'd just be so amazed at the lights. They wouldn't be able to get over it, the electricity, and they wouldn't be able to get over the fact that we're still doing their work. I think that they would be so moved by that. Next is Joe Landry. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say to be able to accept a compliment. Because mm. after all this time, I still, I, I hear them and I'm grateful, but I, I'm just like, oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, but to, to actually like really accept it, mm. I, I still find that a challenge. So yeah. It used to be like, oh, I want to be on Broadway. And now I'm like, I, I don't know if I care about that that much anymore, <laughs> you know. Fair. And if and if I can't accept a compliment, then does it matter anyway? So mm. not to get to uh, therapy about this. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so is that a wish? Is that a theater wish? Is that theater wish accepted? I think accepted? so. It's, it's okay. an open-ended question. Here's Rachel Feeney-Williams' theater wish. Again, it goes back to my kind of want for investment because I would ask for the ability and funding to build and run my own theatre. And it would be a place where, say, new writers can be nurtured, um, produce works that they can be marketed and pull audiences in. Um, I've always said even that if I won the lottery, that would be my kind of big goal. Um, And I I even I came up with a name I said I'd call it the theatre darling because then when you talk about it you sound like a very theatrical person where are you going the theatre darling (laughs) (laughs) yes oh that's lovely you already have the name yes excellent all all I need need is you know yeah so if you're out there with you know a couple of million (laughs) So, so the lottery, uh, the Powerball lottery in the U.S. is uh, almost two billion dollars. The last time I checked, okay. <laughs> That's so if, if anyone wins that and wants to share, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we have some theaters to fund with it. Please and thank yes. you. I just love how varied all of these answers are. Some of them are wistful, and some of them are very practical and achievable. And I'm going to add my Christmas wish and New Year's intention as well. My wish is that the next job I get will be in literary management or new play development and a position that requires me to read and see many plays and discuss them afterward. My intention for the new year is to write more and continue to bring you top-notch guests and deep conversations about theater and crafting and adaptation. Happy holidays, everyone. I'll see you in the new year. Thank you for listening to this episode of 101 Stage Adaptations. If you liked it, I hope you'll follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll be notified every time a new episode drops. 101 Stage Adaptations is produced by me, Melissa Schmitz, with the help of Hello Podcast Media. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.